Coming up, we're discussing the earnings reports from Universal and Cedar Fair, plus the changing ticketing policies at Tokyo Disney Resort. Welcome to the show. I'm Philip. On the Haunted Attraction Network podcast, we bring the haunt industry to you every weekday. We have news, education, and on-location coverage from Halloween experiences around the world. Whether you're a professional or enthusiast, each episode helps you better prepare for Halloween. Outside of this podcast, we have videos, education, and even events. Links to everything are in the show notes. On Mondays, we break down large trends from the news and discuss why it matters to you in our weekly Green Tagged segment. This segment is co-hosted by myself and Scott Swenson, and we try and make sure that everything we talk about has takeaways that you can use to apply to your attraction. And with that, here's this week's segment of Green Tagged Theme Park in 30. From our studios in Los Angeles and Tampa, this is Green Tagged Theme Park in 30. I'm Philip. My co-host is Scott Swenson of Scott Swenson Care Development. And Scott, earnings reports are out. Yay! And I think Yeah. Oh, you know we love a good earnings report, is it, is right? It good news. Well, especially that's a good one. They they have been good news, but there are some interesting details, I think, as there always are, you know, kind of hidden in the in the earnings report sections. But of course, earnings reports, you know, they're always trying to to lead with the positive things, right? Because yeah, because you don't all, you don't want to yes. start an earnings report with, well, we lost about forty uh, percent of our yeah. Nobody wants to. That's that doesn't get, make you want to keep reading, you know. Yeah. So. The, uh, of course, you know, Comcast was like, oh, everything is going well, you know, we're, we're doing good. Um, but <laughs> some of the, the details is, you know, yes, their revenue rose 5.1% from um, earlier. So they, they have shown an, an increase. They actually, they kind of beat Wall Street's predictions. So they, it's it, overall was good. But the key to that is that their streaming is not doing well. <laughs> and neither is their cable. And those are the two things like they peak, peak up. Peacock paid subscribers remained flat at 13 million uh, after adding 4 million last quarter. So they're they're flatlining on Peacock. And then their broadband subscribers were flat at 32.2 million. So it lost about 30,000. So it's like their broadband, they're losing. And then their Peacock, it's flat when they should be growing. Like this is their, their deep acceleration time for Peacock. Like they're only at 14. That is, I mean, that is very low for streaming and it's kind of like right now is was supposed to be their their ramping time and of course what saved them theme park saved them <laughs> really theme park has been where they had huge increases in revenue which again should be kind of like a not like a dub but kind of like an obvious i mean we all know the demand we've been talking about agnosium on the show or demand is so strong it's been look at the last two quarters that's when demand has been strong mm-hmm. and of course it's going to outperform because They've been trying to gear up and be on full cylinders. And of course, they're preparing for Halloween. And they did mention that Epic is on track to open 2025. So they're kind of like really painting the future of this is strong now, but Halloween and Christmas are going to be even better. And also when we open Epic, that's going to add a whole nother revenue channel for this division. So it's kind of seems like that's, that's kind of what's carrying them. Um, but again, I feel like We've talked about all of these things. We've talked about how cable value of that is continuing to be leached out of it. We've talked about the streaming, how it's only going to really be the people that can consolidate to survive, and Peacock is not one of them. So it's, it makes sense. Why would you pay for Peacock 
when you have so many other options on Disney Plus or on Netflix. So yeah, I, yeah, I think it's interesting. Well, again, it's it's reinforcing that people are not sitting at home streaming right now. Um, they're getting out, and mm-hmm. and it looks like that's going to continue at least for a while. We'll see. Again, I think it'll all come back and and sort of we'll we'll even it out again. We've talked about this multiple multiple times on the show, um, but it will it the trend will continue to even out. What I'm curious to see is in this particular you know, microcosm, and, and I realize it's a massive company, so to call it a microcosm is kind of weird, but in this particular scenario, I, I wonder if there's even been consideration since the theme parks are kind of being their cash cow right now, um, if there was ever any possibility of tying Peacock back to the parks. Because, you know, for years, uh, you, you go to the, the basic model, which was started by Disneyland, is to take, um, mm-hmm. you know, take a take a movie or a, a, a TV series and bring it to life in a theme park. I'm wondering if they've thought about, you know, reverse engineering that and finding ways to take things that are popular in the parks and, and using that to create uh, content or interest in Peacock. And the only reason I mention that is because I've seen on, uh, on, um, the the standard you know the standard network that they are constantly referencing Peacock and they are constantly adding new material um, that is an offshoot of their broadcast stuff. So it'll say like if you yeah. want to see more about this, we're going to be doing a special on Peacock, which is our streaming network, um, coming up very shortly. So I'm wondering if if there's not an opportunity there to kind of reverse engineer that media flow. So it goes for for years the traditional way was to go from either film or TV to theme park since theme park is the cash cow I'm, right now i'm wondering if there's a possibility to sort of back it up and uh and re- yeah. reintroduce some of that enthusiasm in the live experience uh back in the streaming channels i don't know i i think that that was maybe the intention originally i mean because uh, it, it's very similar i think to to what you know, Disney was trying to build, obviously with Disney Plus, they're trying to get big enough, fast enough. And now you're seeing them do exactly what you said with Disney Plus quite quite frequently. There's a lot of little tie-ins that they're they're making more and more tie-ins. And then we reported way back, like a year ago, where they kind of re, did the reorganization of the key departments to make it easier right. for people to do the cross content. So I think I think that's, it's almost like, I think their plan was really to do that, but I'm not sure that that is the plan now because there's far more, what I think was just shy of 200 million or something. I mean, there's a lot more Disney Plus subscribers than there is Peacock subscribers. And I think the the problem is now it would kind of like hamstring them if they were trying, if if they can't get, it's kind of like a chicken and egg. They didn't get moving on Peacock fast enough. So now it's like, there, it would almost limit the accessibility of that type of content because the people, the subscribers are so few. And it also seems like they haven't quite reorganized the company enough to also have that content cross division. Because, you know, Disney is like A to Z kind of a, a content first company, I guess I would kind of say, versus Comcast, who they still do a lot of broadband installation. That is a, a still big, they're, they're, you know, they're an internet company and they're also, they do cable. I mean, that's they're not that kind of content A to Z and they're seeing broadband slow down and they're seeing these kind of things slow down. So that is, I'm not sure it's way above our pay grade, but that's kind of, it is also interesting that they are um, facing competition 
in the broadband space, right? Because I think we we had thought we had talked about a while back when we talked about the infrastructure plan, and we were like, oh, the infrastructure plan getting put through, having there be so much for making sure that everyone has internet, that should have boosted Comcast significantly because of their work in putting in infrastructure in places. But I think what it what actually what it did was make that field more attractive to competitors. Mm-hmm. So you see competitors putting in a huge investment. Yep. And if you're if all you are is a broadband company, you know, it seems to be like it's a little bit easier than if you are also a theme park and also a film company and also a broadband company trying to make all three divisions work versus just one. Well, and I think the advantage, I, I love your phrase, you know, the the, the content first companies, because um, basically what's happened, or and I think what, I don't think Disney's there yet, but they've always led the way. And I think Universal is, is coming in there in a close second, is to recognize that the content is what people want and having opportunities, um, various yeah. opportunities, to distribute that content in different ways, whether it's streaming, whether it's live, whether it's movies, whether it's, you know, um, Broadway shows. I mean, it just the ability to do that smoothly and evenly is um, something that's going to really benefit, I think, them moving forward, because we're still not 100 percent sure, you know, where everything is going to go. And once we figure it out, it's going to change. You know, the only thing consistent is change. There are always trends. There are always cycles that we go through. And if you ha- if you lead with the content and keep people interested in the content and then have the ability to put it on their phones, their computers, their movie screens, their stages, their theme parks and 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 execute that relatively seamlessly, it means that you're very versatile and it means that you can pretty much adapt to any trend. Yeah. Well, and also just for reference point, um, Disney Plus is at 130. 130- 7.9 so basically 138 million subscribers on Disney Plus and so what, what roughly like what 10 times the X of Peacock so yeah, but, but Disney Plus Disney Plus has also been very aggressive in creating um oh, that's exactly what I mean exclusive in like content they, they, and exclusive they did that content. deliberately <laughs> of course of course um exclusive content on on existing IP um that they of course you know own purchase lease okay own um but mm-hmm. you know, you you have to. There's things that you can only see on Disney Plus. You can only see on Disney yeah. Plus. And uh, Peacock, from what I've seen, there's some of that, but the majority of it is, you know, uh, building off of the the material that they already own, that people have already seen, and um, that's not nearly as aggressive a strategy. It's also nope. cheaper, but I don't think it's going to work. Yeah, their content strategy is not as aggressive, and that's that's biting them in the butt right now, which we talked about. Yep. But so, Cedar Fair also posted their earnings reports, and uh, again, they are they were positive. I will just kind of point out that, like, of course, they're spinning it as super positive. You know, in fact, the, the the big quote people have been using is from Zimmerman, and he says, "We are well on our way to putting the effects of the pandemic fully behind us." And I'm like, "Well, that's a nice kind of bow you want to put on it." But I'm just going to point out that they're even though they're like, "Oh, we've been seeing all this record attendance, blah blah,", blah it's still six percent right now lower than the same time period of 2019. So even though they're like record attendance, they're overall so people might be spending more per person, and they are selling more. Their big thing this time was that they have the most current annual passes they've ever had. And I'm like, that's great. And they're focused on making people spend more and blah, blah, blah. But their attendance is still lower. And when you look at his, I guess, his plan, 
Um, he said, while demand for our parks is foundational to our success, one of our primary objectives is to drive revenue growth by optimizing both attendance and guest spending levels. So it does seem like, again, they're following the thing we've been talking about forever, which Disney started, was like, how do we get the spend per guest to be higher if our attendance has to be reduced? Seems like that's what is what he's saying. So the idea, I think, would be even though their attendance is lower overall than 2019, they would look for those op opportunities. But just in my opinion, I'm not sure that they have the offerings really kind of fleshed out yet to be kind of banking on that as a solution uh, to their to their growth problems. But I also think that, again, back to staffing, I'm not sure that all of their parks are really fully up to speed. Like, I'd be surprised if all their parks could handle right now the 2019 levels. So Right. But again, I, this, this goes back to after 20 years of being in a theme park, we always arm wrestled back and forth as to what is success. Is it money or is yeah. it attendance? And yeah. there is a very old school thought that says it's attendance. And there is a newer school thought that says it's money. Now, mm -hmm. that may flip-flop over the next 20 years. Who knows? Um, I always used to, I always say, well, wait a minute, I don't get paid in attendance. Um, so if we can reduce our attendance, and, and and when I said things like this, of course, they looked at me like I had three heads. But I said, what if we can reduce the attendance, increase the, the, the quality of the guest experience, and increase mm -hmm. revenue? Wouldn't that be success? So, mm -hmm. you know, you you do point out that their their attendance is down, but if their attendance is down and their revenue is up, I see that actually as a positive, not at all as a negative. Um, I think it's yeah. important to recognize that in theme parks, and you know, if you've ever been to a theme park, especially in the middle of the summer, especially in Florida or California, um, where it's absolutely shoulder to shoulder people, it is an unpleasant experience. And you are, your, your uh, length of stay goes down, um, not, and you'd think it would go up because you'd be waiting in lines longer, but it actually goes down because especially if you have kids, you're like, oh dear God, let's just go back to the pool and swim. You know, that's what the little kids want to do anyway. So, you know, um, you can't, you have to kind of find that ongoing balance between revenue and attendance. And I think it's, I think it's important to look closer and closer at what that sweet spot is. And I think this is something that's relatively, I won't say new, but they're digging in deeper um, at Cedar Fair to try to figure out, you know, what is that sweet spot? What does it look like? And um, how can we uh, create an experience that guests are going to enjoy, that they're going to be willing to spend money on or spend money doing and um, without, you know, overwhelming the situation? Because again, another term that we've used over and over again, there's still the staffing issue. We still have to yeah. figure out that whole conundrum. So, you know, with less attendance, that helps in regards to the staffing situation because less people in the park means you can survive with less employees, less cat yeah. members. So I don't, I don't see the, the lower attendance as necessarily a bad thing. I think it's interesting that you pointed out. Um, but what it really says to me, and this is true whenever you look at any sort of spending report, data can be spun to say anything you want it to. So yeah. depending on where you've put your focus, depending on where you, you know, you, so you have to use data, not as the answer, but as the, um, the guiding point to the right questions. Yeah. Just a, a note of clarity, their attendance. So they're saying right now their revenue and their attendance are up, but when compared to 2019, both are down. That's the key is that they are, they are like, oh, it's doing great. Everything is great. And I'm like, right, but you're not at 2019 levels yet. 
And that's fine to your point. It's totally fine because we didn't, we don't expect, or at least we don't, we don't expect everyone to be like already, we talked about this agnosium too, about full ramp, take a whole tourism structure that took decades to create and then ramp it back up in a few months. But I'm just saying that like right now, it that's what he's saying. Their plan is, is to increase spend per person. So I think I'm kind of reading between the lines and be like, oh, even though their attendance isn't at full capacity and they're maybe not capable of that capacity yet due to staffing, it seems like they're trying to encourage more spend to make up for that shortfall in the budget. Mm -hmm. It seems like, even though he didn't say that, I'm like, that's what it seems like he's saying. But then I'm just over here being my usual skeptical self well, of being like, well, and, can and you looking, do that? And, you're looking and at how it, are you going to do that? And you're looking at it from, you know, making it up and I'm looking at it for increasing guest, guest experience. So, yes. you know, yeah. and, and it can do both. That's the that's the coolest thing. Yes, it, yes, and we're both. excited to see yeah, if it does actually do both. I'd be excited to see like any new plans they have for. But well, so speaking of actually doing both, <laughs> so someone who is who is thinking about the same problem is Tokyo Disney Resort, and let me just start by saying things are a little bit different in Tokyo than you know like things are very different actually everywhere abroad that is not the U.S. The U.S. Uh, theme park market is very advanced, but it's also kind of very saturated and just very crazy in in many ways it's not this is not this way <laughs> at, at parks across the world uh certainly not at tokyo disney and of course tokyo disney is run by a different company oriental trading company just i'm sure our listeners are that but just kind of like give give a background so basically there's a report that came out and i will relatively summarize it but basically um the report came out and they're like we're going to need to more aggressively look at dynamic pricing and kind of remove still 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 not offer a season pass pro, uh, thing and kind of the reason that they are looking to do that is he to to do both things to to bring capacity up and to in, kind of increase spend but also to preserve the guest experience because they think that their their capacity from 2019 was too much like too many people and eroded the guest experience so they're trying to find they're literally trying to find that line of what what percentage where do we push to to make sure the guest experience doesn't erode. And how do we do that with dynamic pricing? How do we do that with capacity restrictions and all that kind of jazz? And some of the numbers, to give you the numbers, um, they're currently restricted to 50%. They project 26 million people will go to the resort in 2024, 80% of their 2018 figure. So basically they're looking at right now 50% and dialing that up to potentially like 80 or 90 and trying to see where the sweet spot is. And he says, we will be deciding how to set the daily visitor ceiling after taking account of changes in values of experiences we provide and the degree of customer satisfaction with them. Uh, and they have been, they're still suspending the annual passports. And he said, even if they do reserve, even if they do resume, the passports may not be able to enter Tokyo Disney Resort during peak periods. Although they declined to give a clear perspective on that. So so it's actually, I feel like it, they are looking at all of this stuff and they're being very smart about it because they're doing exactly what you said. They're, they're testing mm -hmm. what is the capacity that's going to make this experience good? Where is that line? And then he's holding off. He's, they're not promising to bring back the annual passes and, and talk about them at all. And I feel like that's smart. You know, it's smart to just be like, we're going to stop them. It's like, it's like, I feel like that's what kind of maybe should have happened on this side, where if you can't guarantee that people can get in any day, don't sell a pass that tells them they can get in every day, right? Well, like just and and stop this, it. This uh, the different culture though. Theme parks, theme parks in general, 
um, especially the the revenue generating departments within, within theme parks, other than the the gate admissions people. Um, they've been trying to eliminate season passes or reduce season <laughs> passes for years because season pass holders are notorious for not spending money in the parks. Uh, that is different with Disney. It is different with Universal um, yeah. properties because those are the 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 absolute crazies who live and they have more velvet ropes and if we have more right. velvet ropes your pass holders right. are more likely to do them because they right. have options and they want to they're the ones that want to do the velvet ropes are the pass holders correct now i will say that this this dynamic pricing is something that that it, we're actually is actually already happening in the united states but not oh yeah not as much in the theme park industry and not and not this transparently um yeah what's happening i, I where i noticed thing. it where I notice it is in the live concert series or the live concert ticket yeah. uh, market. They, the pricing there is completely dynamic. Um, cruise ships have done it for years. Uh, they they yeah. do dynamic pricing based on attendance. Actually, Disney, um, Disney Resorts has done it for years. Um, they do dynamic pricing as far as room rates go based on how booked they are at any given time. So, you know, all of this stuff has been going on. It's just that in the U.S., the the pushback has always been, well, that's not fair. Why can't I get it for that price? Well, because you bought it early. Yes, but I should get a discount because I bought it early and, and not be penalized because I bought it early. And so <clears throat> it's it's a cultural, uh, you know, as you pointed out, things operate very differently outside the United States. Um, and it's a cultural thing that I think, you know, perhaps they can they can get away with it a little bit easier. Um, because, you know, in the United States, there is a certain sense of, of entitlement that comes, um, that comes into play. And, (laughs) and I think it's important to, to recognize, and I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I'm just saying culturally, that is something that, that is here. And if you tell somebody the, you know, your, your theme park ticket that you bought, um, six months ago, uh, is now you know, is we're now selling the exact same admission, the exact same experience for 30% less because of dynamic pricing, there are going to be people who are livid in the United States. Um, yeah. It also, you know, and you also have to be careful with dynamic pricing because then it, it, at times, because culturally, traditionally, Americans will hold off for a deal. They'll wait and go, oh, well, maybe we, sh- you know, maybe we should hold off a little bit longer. Maybe we should, and then they end up not going. So there is a level of breakage there as well that you have to kind of look into. I am very curious to see how this plays out um, for uh, for Tokyo Disney because, uh, again, I can see it working. I, I don't know the culture in Tokyo as well as I do, obviously, the United States, but I could see it working better there than here. I can promise you, though, if it works there, there will be someone who's able to spin the data and say it can work in the U.S. as well. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. I, I do. I just want to end up. I do really like their approach, though, of being so transparent and just kind of explaining it like so simply. Mm-hmm. Like if you do this, this is how like and I think that's a little bit of. Um, I could see that piece potentially working in some way in the US. But anyway, so let's let's pivot a little bit to talk about. Uh, we talked a little bit about Universal. We talked about how all these parts are trying to figure out their uh, their their lines and what they're going to what they're doing and how to get their earnings up. Right. Um, so the next few stories I'll have to kind of do with, with, uh, in ways with Universal, and of course they're they're doing well. Their attendance and their their profit are up, so they kind of that, and they they really are on 
on path, I think, to have a completely record-breaking Halloween. I really do. And in fact, that's that's one way I hundred percent agree. Weren't with. you just weren't you just at a show? You were just at a trade show that they did an announcement there, weren't you? Yeah. So, and this is what I was what exactly what I was thinking is I was like, you know, they're they're not only for our listeners. It's like they're doing a lot of things that that are not necessarily very expensive tactics, but they're doing a lot of tactics that. I think maybe you might think maybe they're above doing these things. You know, I guess you would think maybe they're above them, but they're doing them anyway. And I think that's part of why they are ha- having success in this is they are doing all of these tactics. They're really trying, re- really trying to get out. And so well, I was at Trade Show, I was at Midsummer Scream, and they did a whole main stage panel presentation. They flew John Murdy out. I'm not sure if he was already in town, but you know, he doesn't live here. He mm-hmm. lives in Ireland. So he was in town. He went on stage himself. They brought Slasher in to do a, a guest, a guest present, a kind of like a guest appearance, um, which wasn't planned. So the kind of just was completely out of the, out of normal, but they did a maze reveal on stage. Talk about it. You know, they've been doing, so outside of this, they've been doing a press release for every maze. Then they did this big fan convention and it was about 2000 people. I think it was the capacity for the room. But then you have to account for all of the bloggers and all the YouTubers and all the media who were live streaming it. And you're seeing tens of thousands of views on on this all over. I mean, they really were able to make like a make an environment of like a mini press conference mm-hmm. through doing this main stage presentation with Midsummer Scream. And, you know, that's, you you might think, well, they don't need to because they can do their own press releases. They can do their own whatever, you know, they don't need to partner with the local community, but they, you know, but it's just showing that they're partnering anyway, that they're doing all this stuff anyway. And, um, well, they're embracing, the organic, other, they're embracing the organic media that they're getting out of it. You know, they're they're correct. looking at it going, we are, this is the way, this is our way to guarantee that we will yes. be on every blogger's lips. This is the way to yes. guarantee that we hit the super fans. Um, you know, it's it's interesting because, I'm sorry, I'm just going to interject real quick. I was talking to some of my my old cohorts, or actually people who work for my old cohorts at uh, at Bush Gardens in Tampa, and they're doing their Hello Scream, you know, audition process right now. And they said the smartest thing they have done this season is they had a booth at Comic-Con. Um, and just mm-hmm. from a staffing standpoint, you know, that's obviously a teeny tiny chip of what Universal has done. But still, by going to these conventions, by appearing uh, yes. in the in the live the the live arena and and sharing with the sneezers who are going to take their their message and spread it like a virus sorry probably a bad analogy but spread it around uh, via social media etc um, is is something that people I think are recognizing more and more and you know we always want to talk about takeaways recognize this Universal is doing it on a massive scale uh, Bush Gardens Tampa is doing it on a, a small much 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 smaller scale but even if you're an FEC you can do this same thing by offering up something to a local trade show you can get you can reap the benefits of it and yeah. uh, and if the big the big boys and girls and and all those in between are doing it then i think it's it's important to recognize that you too can do it yeah it doesn't need to be a, a huge flashy thing it can be the takeaway is participate locally right you know and and that that's and that's what they're doing and i will also say you know knots again to make the cedar fair comparison we just talked about cedar fair not kind of getting where they were previously, they declined to do a presentation in midsummer. So it's kind of like, you know, Cedar Fair is not above. That's what I'm kind of like, you know, they're, they're, um, and I know because they're, they're, they're new marketing person who is leaving. 
um, gee, I wonder why, um, did decline to do any fan outreach, any community outreach. So they cut the entire thing. And so that's, this is. Well, and again, I, I can't, I can't comment on that intelligently because I don't really know any of the details behind it. You probably know more than I do. Uh, but I will say if they already knew that Universal was doing a big rollout, um, I can certainly see where that would make some of the higher ups within uh, other competing parks a little nervous, be a little bit concerned. Um, I personally, especially in the Halloween arena, I don't agree with it uh, because I think that Halloween is one of those few things that you, the more you put out, the more people go to uh, because you can't get scared the same way twice. And if you've ever seen me do a seminar at any Halloween convention, you've heard me say that exact phrase. Um, So competition is a unique thing in the haunted attraction industry, which is why I've always uh, been about let's share the best ideas so that everyone can, can elevate their game. Because if a guest goes to a bad Halloween event in a theme park or uh, backyard, they're not going to go to another one. But if they go to a good one, yeah. they're going to look for the next one. So um, I, 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 could, I, I, I guess my point is I understand if they declined because they didn't want to compete with Universal. At the same time, I, don't, I think it's less of competition and more engagement and interaction that they kind of missed out on. So... Well, other things I think are big takeaways Universal is doing is they have started to kind of uh, just put their scare maze pieces to their scare mazes or not scare maze, sorry, their scare zones. They started to put just pieces of their scare zones, just leave them out. So, in, you know, in previous years, and, and I think what what normal park protocol is, <laughs> like quote unquote normal, is that you work on these set pieces for your scare zones and your mazes and you keep them backstage and then when the event is starting to get ready as in like the day of the event you pull them out right Mm -hmm. so they're but they're starting to just leave them out there they have been out there the pat for several weeks and guess what's happening people are going to the park bloggers are going to the park just to take pictures of the sets and do like kind of just pictures of the set pieces again this is again this a little like little changes like this like we're gonna put these out there you know because hunt we hear it all the time people are like i don't want to give away all the secrets and we're worried about blah, blah, blah. And it's like, just like you can't get scared the same way twice. You know, you can't, you watching a video of a set is not going to replace getting, walking through that set in person and getting scared by it in person. So it's not a, really a threat to ruining the experience, but what it is, is getting all these people excited and it's for this. It's, it's all this free marketing. All they literally, they're just like, let's just put this set, let's move this set like a hundred feet to the left and put it on stage. And then we'll, that's it. Look at all the marketing that they get for, literally no effort. Right. And and I will say that is a change since the early days of, of uh, Halloween and theme parks that I worked on at least. So 20 years ago, um, that it was, it was counterproductive because yeah. it would have been blasphemy. Yeah. yeah it would. It, uh, and, and it impacted the day product. You know, when you've yes. got a park where the day product, the night product target two very different audiences, you, you have to make certain that you find that balance and, and you don't, you don't dumb down your sets so much that they are, um, appropriate for a younger, more family audience, or you find ways to hide the gross stuff so that the family audiences don't become offended by it. Um, that said, I I totally agree and support with th- this idea of get it out there. It's it's the museum of ice cream across the entire park. You know, it's it's now a selfie stop, which is mm-hmm. is perfect perfect marketing. Um, so, you know, good, good for them. Good for you guys for getting it all out there. And, and, uh, speaking of getting it all out there, we tried to get it all out there. Once again, we've, uh, run out of time. 
uh, before we run out of things we want to talk about. So hopefully we've uh, sparked some interest, got you guys to think about some questions. And even more importantly, we hope that we will see you again next week. On behalf of Philip, my name is Scott Swenson. This is Green Tag Theme Park in 30, and we will see you next week. Okay, that's all for today. We'll catch you back here tomorrow for our weekly Haunt News Roundup. Today's episode was produced and edited by me, Philip Hernandez, with post-production by David Swope. Support for this episode comes from Gantam Lighting and Controls. See what you're missing with a free demo. Sign up at gantam.com demo. We release a free weekly industry newsletter. Sign up on our website or at the link in our show notes. The Haunted Attraction Network team includes Daryl Plunkey, Emily Louise Rua, Megan Spells, Gavin Burns, and Maximus Bryant. Our partner stations include A Scott in the Dark, Scare Track, The Scare Factor, and Haunt Topic Radio. Finally, please, please, please rate and subscribe to our show wherever you're listening. And until next time, Haunters, stay scary. This is a Haunted Attraction Network production.